2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is where we left off on Sunday. What a glorious verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away completely. And then that word behold, which in the Bible always means, wow, check this out. Behold, all things have become new. If you were with us on Sunday, you know that this verse means that God has taken away your sin. He's made you a brand new creature, a new creation. He's rescued you from the tyranny of self. And he's given you the desire to serve him. Now, the obvious question becomes then, what next? What next? If I'm a new creation and I want to serve him, what role do I play in the kingdom of God? What job does God have for me? Well, we find, if not the answer, certainly an answer in the first few words of verse 20. Look with me. Skipping ahead just a tiny bit. Verse 20 says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Paul here is talking to the Corinthians, but he gives us a very important clue as to one of the roles of every Christian. Your king, the one that you've pledged your allegiance to, he may give you other roles, other jobs, other assignments, but your main job is always this, ambassador for Christ. Whether you are a preacher or a plumber or a businessman or a teacher or a baker, candlestick maker, whatever it is, your main job, if Jesus is your king, you are an ambassador for Christ. This world, we know, is no longer our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are on foreign soil. We are ambassadors. The king has sent us into this world with a mission. You guys heard me talk about David Gusick? Pastor teacher that uh, has a lot of stuff quoted in the Blue Letter Bible. And I got to sit next to him at the pastor's conference. I'm all proud of that. Anyway, I'm going to quote something from him, him here that's really good. He says, an ambassador does not speak to please his audience, but the king who sent him. An ambassador does not speak on his own authority, his own opinions, or de- his own opinions or uh, demands mean little. He simply says what he's been commissioned to say. But an ambassador is more than just a messenger. He is also a representative. And the honor and reputation of his country are in his hands. What a privilege to be called an ambassador for Christ. And you can be a great one or you can be a lousy one. The people around you need great ones. So tonight let's, let's call this our orientation. What do you say? Our ambassador's orientation. This is like a convention tonight of ambassadors. If you've all got your name tags and you picked up your literature, you have your bag full of swag. If you have your coffee in the styrofoam cup, let's begin. Welcome to the 2007 orientation of ambassadors for Christ. Here's some of the questions that we're going to answer. What exactly is my assignment? As ambassador for Christ, what is to be my demeanor in this foreign land? What's what's my message in brief? What's my timeline? Is there a deadline here? What's what's the code of conduct? Those are some of the questions that we're going to answer for you ambassadors. 
First, exactly, exactly what is my assignment? Look at verse 18. It says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. One of the titles for an ambassador, I discovered, is minister. And here is your ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. Your assignment, if you will, is this ministry of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation, to reconcile, it's a pretty interesting word. Three meanings come to come to uh, light right off the bat. One, the word reconcile means to make right. Like when you reconcile your checkbook, right? When you try to make it right with what the bank says you have in it. Another, it means to make up, as in a husband and wife, when they reconcile after a fight. Of course, none of you guys have ever had one, right? Also, the word reconcile means to exchange. In other words, to, when you exchange a, a certain number of coins for another uh, number of coins. So it means to make right and to make up and to exchange. What a perfect word for what has happened to us already. Ambassadors for Christ, you are perfectly suited for this thing called the ministry of reconciliation because you yourselves have been reconciled to God. Think about it. You've experienced firsthand this ministry of reconciliation. You and I have been made right. Like a checkbook for a morally bankrupt person, I have been, the, the check, checking account has been made right. The debt is paid in Jesus. And you and I have made up, as in after a, a fight, We have made up with a righteous king. We were once enemies of our king, but we have been, what? Reconciled. And the way that that all happened was through that third use of the word, through an exchange. Look at verse 19. Paul says, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, this is really important. I think basically if you look at verse 18 and then verse 19, it's almost like Paul is restating. But what I think he's doing is clarifying. Ambassadors, understand this. Even though your assignment is called the ministry of reconciliation, you don't do any of the actual reconciling. Did you hear that? You don't do any of the actual reconciling between the person that you are praying for and God. You are not an arbitrator between God and sinners. Jesus is that person, right? God has already done everything needed to reconcile the sinner to himself. Because look at verse 19 again. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Through Jesus, through his life, through his substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection, God found a way to make his absolute righteousness, his holiness, he was still able to keep that and yet not impute our sins to us. You get how hard of a deal that is? To, to look at someone's sin and to say, okay, I won't punish you for that, but still be righteous. The only way it could happen would be through a substitutionary death, and that was in Jesus. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. So, What you need to remember is that you are not an arbitrator. 
ambassadors, your job is not to arbitrate between God and the sinner. Your job is not to negotiate. I mean, how do you negotiate? God's not going to change. He's not going to give any ground. There's no negotiation here. This is a finished work that God already did. This is a finished work, a reconciling that is available to the whole world. And you have been sent to that world to basically say, as an ambassador, this is the message I carry. Look at verse 19. He says, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So in verse 19, I believe Paul clarifies your ministry of reconciliation. You don't do anything to reconcile the two parties. No, you are just an ambassador that that carries the message. Do you get it? When you guys walk out that door into this foreign land... Your message should be something like this. Look, the, reconcil- the reconciliation is already paid for. It's already available to you. I've just been sent to let you know. Would you take it? Okay, so ambassadors, now hopefully you're thinking, okay, I've got my assignment. My message, my assignment is that my king has made available reconciliation. And I'm just to proclaim it. Now, what next? What is to be my demeanor? You guys know that an ambassador's demeanor is really critical. Imagine our government sends a message of reconciliation to another country. How, how it is that the, the ambassador relays that particular message is pretty important, don't you think? His demeanor. Okay, let's say that we send you to a foreign nation as an ambassador for this nation. And the message is reconciliation. I mean, if you deliver that message hostily... Like this, reconcile or else. That's going to affect the relations between the two parties, right? If you deliver that message wimpily, is that a word, wimpily? Like, reconcile, I mean, I mean, if you want to, I mean, if it works for you, you know, that'd be great if you could reconcile. Or you could deliver it apathetically. Look, I'm just a messenger. I just did my job. It's up to you, man. It's your problem. What is, what is to be our demeanor as messengers, as ambassadors for Christ? Look at verse 20. Here it is. Your demeanor is to be. Now then, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors, you still with me? Your job is to speak as though God were pleading through you because he wants to. God wants to plead to the people that you know. He wants to plead through you to implore them on Christ's behalf. In other words, there should be an urgency. There should be a gravity in your demeanor, but most of all, there should be love. Right? That's what I read there in Paul's message. I'm pleading you. I'm imploring you. That is one that is from a a base of love. See, this is not a message of, that's, that's hostile. This is not when you say, look, you are headed for hell, and I'm glad of it. People give that message. This is not a wimpy message. Look, reconcile with God if it's okay. I mean, you know, I, I hope I haven't offended you. And it's not an apathetic message. This is you, you taking to the people that you love, the people that you know, and saying, God has made a way for you to be reconciled with it. I'm speaking for him when I say, not from a position of weakness, 
But from a position of strength, I am pleading with you to be reconciled with my king. There's gravity there. There's an urgency there, but there also should be love there. I implore you, be reconciled to my king. Now, don't forget, ambassadors, what you're offering here. You are offering them a chance to be right with God. And what I've discovered, that's what every single person you meet really, really wants. They really do. Think about how much angst is created in every life by the fact that someone else created the universe and you don't know them. And you have no control over the things that are happening to you. Everybody in their heart wants to be accepted by God, but the problem is some of them want to be accepted on their terms, not on His. Our job is not to reconcile the two, but to say, I am pleading you to you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He's done everything that He possibly can. The only decision left is yours. So, ambassadors, your assignment is to deliver the word of rec- reconciliation. Your demeanor is what? As though God were pleading through you. Now, next chapter. What's my message in brief? I mean, if you had to encapsulate the message for an ambassador, an ambassador for Christ, in a nutshell, what would it be? Verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of of God in him. Ambassadors, you might want to memorize that verse. That verse, that's it. That's your message in about as succinctly as you possibly could. For he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin. We know that Jesus was called the spotless lamb of God. He never sinned, not once. For he made him who knew no sin to be, to become sin for us. Right? You guys know that. Jesus, when he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was sweating drops of blood, it wasn't because he was scared of the pain, a very temporary thing. It was because he knew what was before him, which was to be, for the first time in all of eternity, to be separated from his Father. The fact that if you look through the the Gospels and you see Jesus saying, my father, I know my father, I know his will, I do only the things that he tells me to do over and over again. And then you get to this one spot on the cross where Jesus says, not my father, I know what you want, I know what you're doing, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he made him who knew no sin to be sin for me, for us. That we, here's the exchange, might become the righteousness of God in him. You see that? We're back to the exchange. That is how you become righteous before a holy God. Jesus, who never sinned, he takes your sin on the cross and it is punished. He was loaded down with all of my sins. He took the beatings, the whippings, all that stuff that I deserved And because now all my sins have been punished, I become, it says, righteous in God's eyes. The only way you can reconcile the checkbook of a bankrupt man is to pay the tremendous debt. Jesus lived that morally priceless life and then paid my debt on the cross. That's your message. Ambassadors, that's your message. 
The way to become right with God is through the substitutionary death of Jesus. And it's already accomplished. Your message, in brief, is this. You can become reconciled to the God who created you through the substitutionary death and resurrection of Jesus. All right. Ambassadors, what's your assignment? The ministry of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation. What's your demeanor to be? As though God were pleading through you. What's your message in brief? God has already done it. Now, will you turn to him? Next one. What is my timeline? What's my timeline? If, if we were attacked by an enemy state and the United States sent you with a plan of reconciliation that gave you the terms, whatever it might be, to be at peace with this other nation, they would probably give you a timeline, don't you think? Something like, look, you have until October 1st to respond to this offer of reconciliation. Then after that, we reserve the right to remove this offer to follow up uh, with any number of courses of actions at our disposal. So ambassadors, what is your timeline? Chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says, We then, as workers together with him, ambassadors for him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's clear there that time is of the essence. Right? Paul has been saying, look, we plead with you. This is an urgent thing. There's this sense of urgency. Now, quickly, look at verse 1. What does it mean to receive the grace of God in vain? Well, we need to remember to put this in context. Paul is talking to the Corinthians. We know they've already received the grace of God. He's talking to Christians, right? Um, what he's telling them is, look, don't receive this in vain with no return, if you will. Um, and also look at verse 1. He's talking about these himself, but also the chance that these guys have to work together with him. It says, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. See, ambassadors have the privilege of working closely with the king. Verse 1, I believe, is Paul. He's a, like a veteran ambassador for Christ, okay? And he is calling to the Corinthians, to these carnal Christians. Well, and he's calling to us with this idea, basically this. Look, God has shown grace to you. He's shown wonderful boundless grace to you he has reconciled himself to you he's reconciled he is reconciled you to himself i should say excuse me and the message paul is saying is we need to get to work how much time do you have left as an ambassador he's saying don't receive the grace of god in vain and and not be able to look back at your life and say that you gave anything, that you did anything with this grace of God. Because look, he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That word acceptable is dektos. Listen to this, it's great. It says that most blessed time when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. 
That's awesome. He's talking about amnesty. Like he's talking about that one day in the year when you can return the library book that you kept for the last 35 years. Right? Your, your, your fine would be $862.11. Not that I know. Your fine would be astronomical, but there's just one day where you can turn, it, turn this book in and you won't be punished. You'll owe nothing. That's what he's talking about here. He says today is the acceptable, that free grace time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See, this is our timeline, ambassadors. This is what we're supposed to say are the terms to the earth dwellers that we go to. When you walk out those doors and you are an ambassador for Christ, if they were to ask you, what, okay, what's, what are the terms? Okay, all right, I have to surrender my life to Jesus. Okay, uh, I have to admit that I'm a sinner. I have to turn over to him. Um, how long do I have? I mean, you know, what, couldn't I just do this next year? Like I've got this really important business deal that I don't think Jesus would really be happy with. But if we could just put it off a little bit, how would that be? What do you say? You're the ambassador. Uh, the acceptable time is now. Behold, now is the day of amnesty. Now is the day of salvation. Right? That's the implication for the sinner. But obviously, this has implications for you and me too, right? If you're an ambassador for Christ, how much time do you have as an ambassador for Christ? When will you speak to your neighbor? When will you begin to have a relationship with your neighbor so that you can share Christ with them? When will you begin to develop these things so that you can actually tell them about this thing called the ministry of reconciliation that you've received? A little little research statistic-wise, they say that nearly two people die every second. 1.78 people die every second across the world. Um, That means we're just about, about a half an hour now, about 3,195 souls have stepped into eternity since I've been talking. 153,000 people will step into eternity today. Today is the day of amnesty. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, right? When will we begin this job of ambassador? I know some of you have. Let me, let me free you from the guilt that comes at a moment like this. You can't do anything about yesterday, right? Yesterday is not the day of, of, that is accepted. Yesterday is not the day of salvation. It's already gone. All the potential of yesterday is gone. And we can't do anything tomorrow yet, right? Because it's not here. But we can today. Behold, now is the accepted time. Every person you meet, the only amnesty that you can guarantee them is now. So, your assignment? Ministry of reconciliation. Your demeanor, as though God were pleading through us. Your, your message, in brief, look, God made Jesus to be sin in place of you. And your timeline? Today. Okay, what's the code of conduct for an ambassador? Remember, you're not just a messenger. You are representing Christ. Look at verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. He says, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Amb- ambassadors. 
you are to give no offense in anything. That word offense, most of you are familiar with it, means a stumbling block. We are never to let our behavior or the way that we deliver the message become a stumbling block. And if you've tried this at all, you know the message itself will offend plenty. The message itself, the message of the cross will offend many. And we are, we're not to make any apologies for that. When you, you boil the, the message down, it says you are not good enough to come to God on your own. But God loved you enough. To provide a savior for you. That's offensive. But you don't need to be any extra offensive. With your actions. With your words. Paul is saying basically. Nothing in my behavior. Or style. Should be a stumbling block. Paul says I want to rightly represent my king. As I present this ministry. Of reconciliation. As any ambassador would right. You've been given a message. You don't want to like. Oh, I'm sorry, I just spit in your face when I handed this to you. You don't want to make a bad mistake like that. Look at verse 4. He says, but in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. So we're going to see the code of conduct here. We're going to blow through these fairly quickly. First, understand um, in these verses, verses 4 and 5, the backdrop against which your conduct will be seen. He says, but in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. That is endurance. And if it helps you, you could like imagine a colon after that word patience, because what he's going to say is basically we need patience in all of these things, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults. That's another word for riot in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. Now, Paul says. As an ambassador of Christ, we have received all of these things, stripes, imprisonments, tumults. Raise your hand if you have received 40 stripes minus one for the gospel. That's not my hand raised. That was an example. No one. Ha- Raise your hand if you've been in a riot because of the cause of Christ. Me neither. But we can see here, though, that there are three categories listed There's three uh, categories that are listed in in groups of three. Look first, it says tribulations, needs, and distresses. That's like saying basically pressure, poverty, and worries. Those are the general things that happen to you that you can either blame on God or you can blame on your circumstances, right? Now, you might not have uh, the exact same kind of uh, tribulations, needs, and distresses that Paul has, but I, I could... Say, even though you don't have the same degree, you probably have the same kind of thing, right? Pressure. Anybody have pressure? Okay, now we're talking. Poverty. (laughs) Worries. He says distresses. Yep. Okay. Then he goes on to say these three next things, stripes, imprisonment, and tumults. Okay. None of those have I experienced literally. But what he's... Those are three things that are not just circumstances that happen, but they are things that are inflicted by other men. Right? And then he says, labors, sleeplessness, and fastings. Those, those are things that are imposed on self. What Paul's saying is, look, I, I stayed up late to work on this. I hardly get any sleep because of this. I don't eat because uh, it's, it's the best thing for me at this particular time. What he's talking about is hardships, not only that are just happen circumstantially, but 
not only those that are imposed upon us by others, but also that are imposed by ourselves. So all, all of a sudden this becomes relevant. Ambassadors. Whether your problems are the general calamities that happen to everybody, cancer, poverty, pressure, worry, or whether your pain is inflicted by others, rejection, humiliation, abandonment, or whether you've even imposed these things on yourself, hard work, exhaustion, all of the, the stuff that you go through, all of the bad stuff, this is really important to see. It's the first thing he mentions because it's the backdrop. Actually, I, I was listening to Ray Stedman. This occurred to me on the way here. He said, these are the things that you're up against. And it occurred to me that I had already said I was going to describe this as a backdrop to you. This is the backdrop that you're up against. What I mean is this. You guys know how they display a diamond? They'll put it on a black velvet cloth, something that's really super black. They put it on the darkest uh, possible backdrop, and then they shine a light on it so that the brilliance of it is most obvious. Do you get it? Your pressures, whether they are allowed by God or they're inflicted by men or even self-inflicted can become, are meant to be, God wants to make them the backdrop. He wants to make them the thing that when he shines a light on you, out shines forth these things. Look at verse 6. By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering. We've seen that word. That was back in chapter 13 of the first book. That word is macrothemia. It means to have a long fuse. He says, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. That word, sincere love, it's agape. We're very familiar with that, hopefully. But the, the uh, modifier is enopokritos. And it, the way it's said here is, we have it written sincere love, but this is actually probably more descriptive. It's love that's not fake. What it means is love that is not fake. You guys can smell that fake love, right? A mile away. Somebody's like... Oh, hey, it's great to see you, right? It's, it's that, that super syrupy fake thing that you can tell just isn't right. Paul says here, this is sincere love. Now, here's the question. Sometimes you don't feel like loving people, right? So then how do you make it sincere love? Well, by the Holy Spirit, we have in there in verse 6. But also look back with me at the beginning of our whole text today. Verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18, he says, all things are of God. You can't have sincere love when you don't feel like loving people, but you can ask God to help you to love them, right? To, to love, you, love them through you. All right, so we've learned our assignment. We've learned our demeanor. We have our timeline. We have our code of conduct. Now, maybe you are thinking, as you prepare to go out into the, the hostile territory, what weapons do I get? Nobody thinking that? Well, it's generally not good form to walk into an embassy as an ambassador with an Uzi. But, good news, ambassadors, your king has not left you unarmed. Look at verse 7. It says, by the word of truth, by the power of God, and by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. What's the word of truth? That's the sword that you have in your lap. 
the word of truth, by the power of God. Now, remember, we've talked about this at length. God chooses plain old vessels like you and me to carry around the treasure that he calls the power of God. The power of God is inside of you. But then he also says, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Do you guys get that? You guys are so lucky as ambassadors. Most ambassadors do not get access to full body armor. Full body armor at your disposal. And I was thinking, actually, this can be really practical. I have a friend who recently realized that some of his friends are really bad for him. That it's not a good choice to be hanging around these people. And he's already told him, look, you know, you guys need to get lost because, you know, I don't want to be influenced that way. And but he came to me and he's like, these guys aren't leaving me alone. What do I do next? I mean, I already told him, you know, kind of get lost. What do I do? I'm like, well, just read your Bible a lot. Every time they're around, let them see you read your Bible and, and see how comfortable they are around you when you're reading your Bible. You get it like righteousness, real righteousness, not self-righteousness. But real righteousness can be like body armor against temptation. When you're actually seeking to do right, when you're not afraid to pray before your meal, all of, all of the things that you are doing can be a body armor against those who would want to uh, bring you temptation. Now, so you're much better armed than your average ambassador. You've got a sword in your hand or on your lap if you know how to use it. You've got the power of God inside if you'll let him out. And you have the, the body armor of righteousness if you will put it on. Finally, as we come close to the end here, continuing with our code of conduct, perhaps you need to be reminded, verses 8 through 10, how the world will see you versus how your king will see you. Let me say it this way. In a time of war, no true ambassador is going to be well spoken of by all sides. Hear what I'm saying? In a real time of war, if you're a real ambassador, you could be doing everything exactly right. Not everybody's going to be happy with you in a time of war. Now remember, you're not, at, you're not to add to the offense, but remember your message, the one that's been given to you by your king, is naturally offensive to some. It's this again. My, my king has made a way of reconciliation, and it's this, surrender. <laughs> Make peace with my king before he returns. That's your message. With that kind of message, Paul leaves us tonight reminding us, look, this is how people are going to see you. But don't forget, this is also how your king will see you. This is how they're going to see you in enemy territory when you walk out the door. But this is also how your king will see you when you return home. Verse 8, by honor and dishonor. By evil report, and good report, as deceivers, and yet true, as unknown, and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. You guys see it? If you're an effective ambassador to this world, there will be two opinions about you, just like any ambassador would. There'll be the enemy's opinion, and there'll be your king's opinion. The world's collective uh, opinion about ambassadors for Christ is this. 
You can take uh, almost all of the first words there except for the very first one. The world's opinion about the ambassadors for Christ is this. Dishonor. Evil report. They don't have much good to say about you. They'll say you're deceivers. Unknown. Dying. Chastened. Sorrowful. Poor. As having nothing. But your job description is not to please the world or to cater to the world. What matters in the end for any ambassador is what your king says about you. When the world says dishonor, your king says honor. When the world says evil report, your king says well done, good and faithful servant. When the world declares me a deceiver, I want my king to declare me true. To the world, we are unknown. They want to keep it that way as much as possible. But to God, we'll be well known. We are dying to the world, and yet, behold, we live. Now, Paul can speak of that in true uh, physical form. Over and over again, he would die. How many times must they have called each other, right? They could said, oh, you hear about Paul? Yeah, he finally died. You know, we thought he was dead in Lystra, but... Now, it turns out he really isn't dead in Corinth. What? He's, now he's showing up over here, right? Dying to the world and behold, that's where that, whoa, check this out. Behold, we live. We are chastened by life. Amen. And yet we are not killed. We are as sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing. And according to the world, we are poor. But check this out, he says, but making others rich. Can you think of any other scenario where someone as poor as we are can make everybody you see eternally rich? And then he says, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Well, that's the life. That's the privilege. That's the adventure. That's the urgency of your calling. I want to thank you for coming to our conference this evening. In a few minutes, you will leave the grounds of this embassy. Let me leave you with these words. Live to please your king. Share his message of reconciliation. Represent him well, because today is the day of salvation.